Happy Halloween, everyone! It truly is the most wonderful time of the year. Unlike the bright, shiny summer people who flourish beautifully under the light of the hot summer sun, us autumn people thrive under the gray coverage of an overcast sky. Constant rain, thunder rumbling, lightning cracking the dark sky, that's a genuinely beautiful day. And nothing encapsulates those feelings of relaxing in the darkness like celebrating Halloween. The Halloween that we gladly celebrate now and the Halloween that was celebrated hundreds upon thousands of years ago are two very different things. What once was a time meant to honor the dead and keep the traveling spirits that have come topside at bay has turned into a night of frolic and to quote a particularly famous witch where children wear costumes and run amok. And while the modern Halloween we know and love has strayed from its ancient origins, small bits of it can still be found in our most beloved traditions. Let's start with the name. Halloween didn't always used to be called Halloween. It was originally called Samhain, which in the Celtic language translates to summer's end. The ancient Celts lived over 2,000 years ago, mostly in areas that are now considered Ireland, parts of the United Kingdom, and scattered areas of northern France. These Celts celebrated Samhain to mark the end of summer and the harvest season. While they had spent a few plentiful months in the warm summer sun, it was now time to welcome the darkness and the cold nights that follow autumn and winter. Samhain meant the beginning of death, not just for the crops that had given them so much, but for people and animals as well. Death wasn't seen as something terrible or to be frightfully avoided. It was a natural part of the wheel of the year, and Samhain was a way of not just acknowledging it, but also celebrating it. Every October 31st, Druid leaders began the festival by advising everyone to extinguish the flames of their hearths. A sacred bonfire was then built on top of a large hill where people from all over the village could burn sacrifices to their Celtic deities. These offerings included animals, bones and hides, and crops as a way of giving back and giving thanks for everything that they had been blessed with in the previous months. The Celts also believed that Samhain brought about a thinness of the veil that separated our world from the invisible world of spirits and ghosts. On October 31st, it was easier for the dead to come over into our realm and walk freely among us. And although this concept seems frightening, it was actually something that the Celts expected. Otherworldly spirits had a reputation for being troublemakers, destroying crops, and causing a ruckus wherever they went. To hide from the more mischievous spirits, people would wear costumes made out of animal hides or they would make masks out of cloth. It was almost expected for you to run into a ghostly face or two, and these masks not only hid you, but confused the spirits into thinking that you were just another one of them roaming around the world. Offerings of food and wine would also be placed outside of homes as a means to appease the spirits who were just passing by and to prevent them from attempting to enter. For the expected spirits, the ones that families hoped would stop by during the Samhain celebrations, a place was set at the dinner table to show them that they were still a part of the family. Druid leaders also encouraged people to light candles and leave them on paths leading outside of the village to hopefully help the visiting ghosts find their way back to their own world. Once all the celebrations were over and the night began to wind down, 
each person in attendance would take a torch and light it with the fire from the sacred bonfire. When they returned home, they would light their home hearths with the flames from the bonfire to protect them during the coming winter months and bless them in their future endeavors. Druid priests also used the Samhain celebration to project the future for their people. They believed that the ghosts who crossed over could use their knowledge of the other world to help them make predictions about what to expect in the winter and beyond. In the 8th century, when Pope Gregory III was ruling over Christianity, the Roman Empire had already conquered the majority of Celtic territory. With this takeover of Celtic land, many Celts were forced into Christianity, but the church knew that a complete takeover was not going to go well. The Druids had a strong sway over their people, and while many of them were Christians on paper, they still practiced many of their pagan ways. As a means to bridge the gap between paganism and Christianity, Pope Gregory III established November 1st as All Saints Day. The goal was to have All Saints Day eventually replace Samhain, and so the church combined three different festivals of Roman origin with the traditional practices of Samhain. The first of these festivals was called Feralia, which Romans used to traditionally commemorate the passing of the dead. The second was Lemuria, which was traditionally celebrated May 9th through the 13th, and was dedicated to placating the angry and restless spirits of the dead. And lastly, there was Parentalia, which ran from February 9th through the 13th, and honored the spirits of dead ancestors. The Romans even threw in a way to honor the goddess Pomona, who ruled over fruits and the trees, as a means to placate the pagans. Pomona's symbol was an apple, which explains how the tradition of bobbing for apples began. All Saints Day was celebrated much in the same way that Samhain was. There were large bonfires built in town squares where people could get together and commiserate. Parades were held with people dressed as angels, devils, and saints alike. While the Celts used to leave food and wine out for the roaming spirits of the dead, during All Saints Day, the poor and hungry would go a-souling. They would go from home to home, begging for food, and those who answered their doors would give out what was known as soul cakes, pastries that were given in return for the beggar's promise that they would pray for the giver's dead relatives. The church even thought that a name change would help the transition over. All Saints Day was also known as All Hallows Day, or Hollow Mass, from the Middle English word All Hollow Mess. The night before All Hallows Day was traditionally Samhain, and they began to call it All Hallows Eve, which in turn eventually turned into Halloween. Although it was the hope of the Holy Roman Empire to eventually replace Samhain with All Saints Day, the celebration never picked up the kind of popularity it needed to overshadow its pagan counterpart, and ended with them just being two separate holidays. When colonization began in the United States, Halloween had a hard time finding its footing. Due to Protestant beliefs, Halloween was limited in colonial New England, and was mainly celebrated in Maryland and the southern colonies. With the influx of colonizers and their different European ethnic groups, Halloween traditions began to meld and transform. Play parties began to take place every Halloween, where people would tell ghost stories and stories of their own experiences with the dead, they would sing songs, dance around fires, and hire psychics and cunning women to tell fortunes. 
Borrowing from the European traditions of their homelands, Americans began to dress up in costumes to celebrate Halloween and began their own version of going a souling, where they would go from home to home asking their neighbors for food and money just for fun. This practice is what eventually evolved into trick-or-treating. These early Americans still believed that the veil between the spirit world and the corporeal world was thinner on Halloween, and many people took advantage of that during these Halloween parties. Young women believed that these supernatural forces could help them find husbands in one way or another. They would use yarn tricks, apple parings, and mirrors to predict the name and appearance of their future husbands. Young women would toss apple peelings over their shoulders, hoping that the peels would fall on the floor in the shape of their husband's initials. Eggs would be cracked in bowls of water, and the yolks would be studied intensely to see if they could make out shapes or letters that would give them an inclination of their future husband's names or occupations. Women would also stand behind mirrors in darkened rooms while holding a candle and looking over their shoulders, hoping to catch a glimpse of their future husband's face. Holding on to the tradition of bobbing for apples that got brought about by All Saints Day, the first person to successfully catch an apple was supposedly the first person to walk down the aisle. In the second half of the 19th century, America saw an influx in Irish immigration, which helped popularize Halloween celebrations around the nation. The Irish brought along with them one of the most popular and beloved Halloween traditions around, the carving of jack-o'-lanterns. The jack-o'-lantern tradition followed the Irish myth of Stingy Jack. The story goes that Stingy Jack met up with the devil one night and invited him out for a drink. True to his name, Jack decided that he did not want to pay for the drinks and concocted a plan with the devil where the devil would transform himself into a coin and they would use that fake money to pay for their libations. Once the devil turned though, Jack stuck the coin in his pocket, placing it next to a silver cross so that the devil would be unable to transform back into his true form. The devil stayed trapped like that for a while before Jack decided to set him free under the condition that the devil would leave Jack alone for a year. And if the Jack were to die, the devil would also be unable to take his soul. The devil agreed and left Jack. The next year, Jack ran into the devil again and tricked it into climbing a tree to gather some fruit for the two of them. Once upon one of the highest branches, Jack carved a cross into the trunk of the tree and laughed while the devil got stuck. Furious, the devil cursed at Jack. And finally, Jack promised to let him down under the condition that the devil leave him alone for 10 years this time. The devil agreed and left Jack alone. But soon after, Jack died. When Jack appeared before God, God decided that he didn't want someone as tricksy as Jack in heaven, so he cast him down. But the devil, having made that special deal with Jack long ago, couldn't and wouldn't take him either. Due to his mischievous ways, Jack was doomed to walk the earth, a spirit with no home for all eternity, with nothing but a piece of burning coal that the devil had given him to light his way. Jack put the coal in a carved turnip and started his long walk on earth as a dead man. Jack then became known as Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-lantern. 
In Ireland and Scotland, people carve their own versions of Jack's Lantern as a way to confuse and scare away Jack and any other wandering spirits that might come about their home. They would carve terrifying faces to make them appear as scary as possible. In places like Ireland, Scotland, and England, turnips, potatoes, and large beets were used. Once these immigrants found their new homes in the United States, they began to use pumpkins, which were much larger, easier to carve, and in abundance since they were native in America. The early 20th century brought about a bold move to mold Halloween traditions and turn Halloween into a more family-friendly holiday. Due to the high levels of mischief and mayhem that would arise every year when October 31st came around, Local officials wanted to step away from witchcraft and ghosts and step toward more tame things like costume contests, Halloween parties where children and adults could get together, and festive foods and games. Newspapers and radio shows encouraged people to stay away from the grotesque and macabre things that were once associated with Halloween and give in to something much safer and less destructive. When the city of Anoka, Minnesota woke up one November 1st to find cows roaming their main street and other random acts of vandalism, they knew that something had to be done about the way they celebrated Halloween. The city decided to work hand-in-hand -hand with businesses, schools, parents, and children to organize a giant block party, a parade that would be participated by the local Kiwanis Club, the Enosha National Guard, and the school drum corps, and a large bonfire on Bridge Square. The party was such a success that they decided to do it every year, and in 1937, Washington, D.C. passed a proclamation naming Anoka Halloween Capital of the World. Since then, Halloween festivities have expanded to house decorating contests, celebrity appearances, costume contests, Halloween royalty coronations, and a fireworks display. Anoka has thrown their world-famous Halloween celebration every year since 1920, with the exception of 1942 and 1943, when the party was canceled due to World War II. They are widely credited for making Halloween in the United States what it is today. Since then, Halloween has lost some of its more religious and superstitious undertones. We have kept many of the pagan traditions, such as trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, and dressing up in costumes, although the reasons why we do these things have been lost in history. We have also adopted different themes and threaded them into Halloween. The concept of black cats being scary, for example, has become a huge thing for Halloween. Black cats are supposed to bring bad luck, and you can find black cat decorations in every store come October. Black cats, however, are completely harmless and only became a symbol of evil in the Middle Ages when it was believed that witches could avoid detection by turning themselves into black cats. There are still people around the world who celebrate the traditional Samhain. Those who practice witchcraft and consider themselves Wiccans regard Samhain as the most important holiday in the Wheel of the Year since it's the celebration of the New Year. We build bonfires and eat seasonal treats by the warmth of a fire, set up remembrance tables with pictures and tokens of our dead loved ones, and even dress up to scare away some of those pesky traveling spirits. The story you're about to hear is one of a young woman who decided that Halloween was nothing but store-bought decorations and cheap costumes. 
That is until she visited one of her closest friends in Kilkenny, Ireland, where she realized that she was in the middle of a celebration much more ancient and terrifying. Ava didn't like flying. It wasn't that she was afraid of heights or anything. It was the fact that she hated being trapped on an airplane with 50 plus complete strangers, each with their own annoying personal habits. There was always a person who took their shoes off, snored loudly, or played their music without headphones on. And the longer the flight, the worse it got. Right now, she was on a flight from England to Kilkenny, and it was only supposed to be about an hour and a half, but still. She hated breathing the same recycled air as the man next to her that had already gone through seven bags of peanuts in the past 20 minutes. Ava and her roommate Evan were on their way to spend Halloween with Evan's family in their small town in Kilkenny, Ireland. While Kilkenny was a small city, the town that they lived in was even smaller, and it was pretty far apart from others. Ava didn't mind the isolation. She just minded that they had to be there for Halloween. Why couldn't we go on Christmas or something? She whined. Because Halloween is a really big deal in my hometown. We still follow a lot of the old traditions and it's super fun. I really don't like spending my Halloween giving out candy to little crotch goblins while watching cheesy slasher movies. Can we at least go to a party? People don't really go trick-or-treating where I'm from. And we will definitely be going to a party. The town always puts on this huge bonfire on the top of this hill that used to be sacred Celtic land. We dance, sing songs, drink, and eat homemade food. It's honestly the best. You're going to have a great time, I promise. Ava wanted to believe her friend, but she just didn't like Halloween. She had never liked it, even when she was a kid. She resisted every costume her parents tried to put her in, And when she got into high school, she only dressed up in costumes that she knew she could put together with clothes that she already owned. When she got into college, she stopped dressing up altogether. She didn't mean to be a wet blanket on the one holiday she knew people collectively adored. She just never got the point of it. People spent way too much money on candy that ended up in the trash can. They spent hundreds of dollars on costumes that they were only going to wear once and then maybe donate? It gave adults an excuse to eat candy and get stone-cold drunk while wearing a mask and kids an excuse to harass people on the streets and demand candy. She knew that she was being cynical about the whole thing, but she just never got the appeal. Maybe she was a wet blanket, but this time of year, she promised Evan that she would give it a chance. Halloween in Kilkenny was different, and her home time made it extra different apparently. Everin's brother, Kian, was waiting for the girls when their plane touched down at Kilkenny Airport. He ushered them into the car and immediately set about convincing Ava to participate in the night's festivities. She's not really a Halloween person, Evan told her brother as they drove down the unpaved road to town. Well, here, we don't really celebrate Halloween. We celebrate Samhain. What's Samhain? Ava asked. It's like Halloween's grandfather. Kian replied, A lot of the Halloween traditions that get celebrated around the world come from Samhain. The trick-or-treating, the carving of pumpkins, even the dressing up in scary costumes. 
They're all watered-down versions of what Samhain used to be. The Celts used to believe that on Samhain, the veil between our world and the spirit world was ultra-thin, Evan explained. It was really the only day out of the year that the ghosts could walk around and cohabitate the world with us. So, to hide from wandering spirits, people used to dress up in costumes made out of animal skins. They also used to leave food and wine out on the doorstep so spirits could eat and mingle and make sure that no pissed off ghosts tried to break into their houses. I'm guessing that's where trick-or-treating came from? Ava asked. And you would be correct, little miss, Kian replied with a laugh. And then there's Stingy Jack. Who's Stingy Jack? She asked. It's a long story, Ava replied, as they passed a large sign that read, Welcome to Firth. Firth reminded Ava of the towns she had seen in dozens of kids' movies. The cobblestone streets and fairy tale-esque shops and restaurants made her feel as if she had stepped into a storybook. The trees were shedding perfectly yellow and orange leaves, and their bare branches stretched out like rigid arms. The air smelled like baked bread and fall and rain, even though there wasn't a single cloud in the sky. Ava closed her eyes and took a deep breath, relishing the atmosphere. All around her, though, the citizens of Firth looked like they were already getting ready for Halloween. It was only noon, and yet people were walking around with animal masks and pelts. Some wore more commercial animal onesies, and some of the children that passed by were dressed as Transformers or Disney movie characters. But for the most part, Ava saw many homemade costumes that were meant to look ancient. It reminded her of pictures she had seen of homemade Halloween costumes from the 40s and 50s. She shuddered as she passed a group of people wearing long black cloaks, their hoods over their heads with nothing but goblin masks made out of paper mache poking out. As they passed through a few homes, she saw plates of food and whole bottles of wine being left out. So people really do this stuff, huh? Oh yeah, Keen replied. It's bad luck if you don't. We want to be as respectful as possible to our visitors tonight. They turned into a narrow street where Kian parked the car in front of a beautiful home painted a deep orange color. A wreath made out of twigs and orange, red, purple, and brown leaves hung from the door, and a small placemat that read, Slanja, was placed on the doorstep. Cheers, Evan said as the trio wiped their feet. Ava instantly felt welcomed with Evan and Kian's family. They were loud, boisterous, and fun people, not at all like the socially awkward and terribly quiet members of her family. They swapped stories, told jokes at each other's expense, and brought out whole family photo albums for Ava to look at, each picture telling a new story. Okay, so who's Stingy Jack? Ava asked while everyone was having a drink in the living room. The sun was going down and they had lit a cozy fire in the fireplace. Oh, that's a story, Ava's mother Morgana said with a laugh. Let me do it. I do voices. Thomas, Evan's father, chimed in. As he was getting into character, Morgana placed a hand over his mouth. No thank you, love. No one wants to hear that. Stingy Jack was a man who was known around town for being, well, stingy. One night, he ran into the devil on his way to a pub, and instead of being frightened, he invited the devil to a drink. So they get to the pub, and Stingy Jack says, There's no way I'm paying for these drinks. Let's trick the bartender. You'll turn into a coin, and I'll use that to pay for the drinks. Then you can transform back, and it's like we drink for free. 
The devil is obviously all about mischief, so he agrees. But right when he transforms, Jack swipes him, puts him in his pocket, and fucks off out of the bar with two drinks. So why didn't the devil just transform out of the pocket? Ava asked, intrigued by the fairy tale. Well, Jack put him next to a holy cross, so he couldn't, Thomas chimed in. So Jack tells the devil, I'll let you out as long as you promise to leave me alone, and if I were to ever die, you're not allowed to drag me to hell. The devil was annoyed, but said, yeah, sure. So eventually, Jack dies. And when he gets to heaven, God is like, I don't want no one like you creating mayhem in heaven, so you can fuck off. I doubt God would have said fuck off, Evan said laughing. Ava laughed, but kept listening while Thomas continued. But if you remember, Jack made a deal with the devil, so he can't go to heaven, and he can't go to hell. He's stuck. So the devil does Jack a solid and gives him a lump of lipped coal and tells him, start walking, see who will take you in. So Jack carves a turnip and puts the coal in it, and it's said that every Halloween, Stingy Jack walks the streets of Firth, looking to see who will let him in. I get it, Ava said. Jack-o'-lanterns are the turnip he cropped. Right you are, Kean replied. He was known as Jack of the Lantern, so, you know, Jack-o'-lantern. Ava noticed a bright lit burning outside. When she turned, she saw a giant bonfire burning brightly at the top of a large hill. Oh, it looks like the festivities are starting, Morgana said with a small clap of her hands. Ava watched as the family began to gather costumes from their respective rooms and masks resembling those that she had seen on people from the car. Evan was wearing a mask that resembled a cross between a cat and a vampire, while Kian wore a mask that looked just like a boar. Their mother and father put on matching goblin masks with wide open mouths and curling tongues. They each wore thick, burgundy, black, or navy blue cloaks that made Ava a little itchy. Evan removed her mask and presented Ava with two masks. Okay, you can have your pick of the peacock or the much more creative and scary banshee. Ava politely shook her head no. No thanks, I think I'll pass. The family exchanged worried looks and removed their masks. I don't think that's such a good idea, Kian replied. Look, I know you guys are super into Halloween and stuff, but it's just not my thing. Don't worry, I'll still have fun. Evan took Ava to the side while her family continued to get ready. Look, I really think you should wear it. This isn't Halloween we're talking about here. This is Samhain. It's not the kind of celebration that you think it is. Lots of strange and unexplainable things tend to happen here on Samhain. Consider the mask as extra protection for what might be out there. Ava tried not to roll her eyes, but really, it was kind of ridiculous. Thanks for the warning, but I'll think I'll be fine, she said with a small laugh. Evan's face looked anything but fine. She looked genuinely worried. You really believe in this stuff, don't you? She asked her friend. Living in Firth will make you a believer, she said seriously. Look, I respect your belief in this Samhain and the magical properties it might possess, but I firmly believe that I will not be running into any wayward spirit while asking your neighbors for candy. So once again, I will have to decline wearing the creepy pagan animal mask. Evan chewed on the inside of her cheek and looked over at her family. Kian shrugged his shoulders as if to say, what are we supposed to do about it? Fine, Evan replied, but stay close to me, okay? Aye, aye, Captain, Ava replied with a salute. 
The family took one last look at her, and when she shook her head no one last time, they resigned and stepped out of the door and into the night. Earth was positively lit up. Each house was adorned with small white lights. There were electric torches lining the sides of roads that seemed to lead out of town. While there were children going from door to door trick-or-treating and enjoying their Halloween, there were also people dressed in similar fashion to Evan and her family that all seemed to be heading in the same direction, the bonfire on top of the hill. Ava looked around and was impressed by everyone's dedication to Samhain. It felt good to be a part of something bigger, even if she did stick out like a sore thumb without a costume. They all made their migration to the hill, and when they arrived, Ava's jaw dropped to the floor. The bonfire burning was unlike anything she had ever seen. It stood a good ten feet tall, with its bright, warm flames licking the sky above. A band was set up, off to the side and they played loud boisterous music while a man with a deep voice sang a song that made everyone around him laugh. People danced and drank and there was a table set up with fruits, vegetables, plates of meats and breads and a giant pot of stew that smelled absolutely heavenly. Ava wanted to break off and look around but Evan had her arm firmly interlocked with hers. She followed the family to the front of the fire where people were tossing in items. What are they doing? Eva asked. They're tossing in sacrifices to say thanks for all the blessings from the previous year. But the year isn't even over yet. Well, Samhain marks the end of the harvest, so technically this is the New Year celebration. Things start to die. People, crops, animals. We start from the bare bones of nothing and then work our way up again. Happy New Year, Ava joked. Happy New Year. Evan replied with a chuckle and threw in a bundle of rosemary that she had stashed in her cloak. Who are they sacrificing this stuff to? The gods, Ava replied, her voice taking on a serious tone. The ones that people might follow, or the old ones that still do us good. As the night progressed, the air around the bonfire shifted. Ava saw less and less children milling about and more adults swaying to the beat of the drums that rang out into the night sky. The fire still burned impossibly bright, even though she had yet to see anyone feed it. She didn't know if it was because she had been drinking or if it was the smell of animal furs and kindling. She felt lightheaded. She felt as if she were inhabiting another place. It was as if the real world that she had been living in only a few hours ago had deteriorated and she was now in a world where things were heavier. All around her, people dressed like animals danced and called out into the night. They whispered things into the bonfire and lifted their heads up to look at the flames, as if waiting for a response. They jubilantly made animal noises and laughed and sang and cried tears of joy as they reminisced about dead family members. It was making Ava dizzy. The feeling was becoming too much to bear and her anxiety was getting the best of her. She looked around the party to see if she could find Evan, but with the masks, she couldn't recognize anyone. She decided that she was going to head back to the house and clear her head before returning to the festivities. The moment she made her way down the hill, the air around her changed. 
everything felt cold, and a light fog had fallen over Firth. The houses, which once had seemed so warm and inviting, were now shut up and dark. Single candles were set beside plates of half-eaten food, with bottles of empty wine toppled over. No more children roamed the streets, and those that did had an odd look about them. Actually, all of the people who were still out had an odd look about them. A soft light emanated from them, a glow so faint that Ava barely picked up on it. She wasn't drunk in the least, but she thought that maybe there was something in the beer that she had drunk that was making her see things. And their clothes were strange, too. Some were dressed in clothing so old that she had only seen them on people in history books, while others were dressed in clothing that looked completely modern and new. There were old women dressed in long dresses, their shawls wrapped tightly over their shoulders and heads. Children huddled together and roamed in packs, some in period dress that looked Dickensian, and others in nothing but rags. She found a young and beautiful woman who was roaming the streets in a cashmere wedding dress, with a lace veil falling down her back. She was even carrying a wilted bouquet of baby's breath in her hands. Ava wanted to be impressed with her dedication to dressing up, but something didn't seem right. Every time she passed by someone on the street, they turned to stare at her. She wasn't in costume. She was painfully aware of that. But the looks that they gave her were of something other than annoyance for her lack of festive spirit. They were looks of recognition, of want, of hunger. It was as if she had something that they all wanted. Ava tried to stay away from them, give them as wide a berth as possible as they passed by, but there was something else off about them. When she looked closer, she realized that they all looked a particular shade of gray, as if they hadn't seen the sun in years. Their features were gaunt, their cheeks sunken in, and their skin stretched too tight around their bones. Some were missing teeth and clumps of hair, while others looked completely intact. Makeup was one thing, but this was another altogether. And then Ava noticed that as she was passing by, they would stop and stare, but then continue to follow behind her. There were dozens of them on the street, and each one would take a moment to acknowledge her presence and fall in step a few feet behind her. She didn't know why it bothered her so much, why it scared her so much, but it made her quicken her pace. She got lost a few times, taking wrong turns down streets inhabited by more of these odd, gray people, but she finally made her way to Evan's home. By the time she reached the door, there were at least a hundred people behind her. Spirits. She took one last look at them and then slammed the door behind her, making sure not to knock over the candle and wine that Evan and her family had left outside the front door. There was a fee in her that said that the people were going to try and break in. They were going to jiggle the doorknob, rattle the windows, pound on the door, something to try and get inside, but nothing happened. When she plucked up the courage to look out the windows, she reeled back in fear. They were all still out there, surrounding the house, looking into the windows, staring right at her. Fog lingered around them, accentuating their ghastly glow. Go away, she cried out, but no one moved. Go away or I'm calling the police, she cried out again. 
She thought that the threat had worked because something else had gotten their attention. In unison, all the ghosts outside turned to look at something down the street. Ava didn't dare open the door to see what they were all looking at, so she made her way to the farthest window in the living room. Slowly peeking through the curtains, she saw the ghostly people give a man walking towards the home a wide berth. It was as if they were afraid of him, averting their eyes as he passed by. He was wearing gray and faded breeches, with a white tattered long sleeve linen top. His shoes had rusted buckles on them, and they looked worn and falling apart, as if he had been walking for a very long time. He held something in his hand that glowed, but Ava couldn't tell what it was. When it looked like he was getting closer to the house, she instinctively backed away from the window. Unlike the others who merely lingered around the home, this stranger walked up to the front door and tested the doorknob. Ava watched as it moved a few times, and she felt instantly grateful that she had had the peace of mind to lock the door when she ran in. Then she heard the knock. The man outside was knocking on the door. Slow, hard knocks that shook the door in its frame. Ava walked over to the door and pressed her ear to the cool wood. Who's there? She asked in a whisper. She didn't expect the person on the other side to answer, but then a low, hoarse voice replied, Jack. Ava's eyes went wide. Can I come in? Jack asked. No, Ava said, frightened. Please, he said. I have been walking for so long. I am afraid that my light is going to burn out. Stay away, she shouted. Let me in, Jack called out loudly. Let us in, the spirits outside chanted to her. They chanted and chanted, let us in, let us in, but Ava would not give in. Then Ava heard another sound, the clear, firm sound of a woman's voice saying, Continue on your walk, Jack. There's nothing for you here. It was Evan. She and her family had returned home from the bonfire. All of you, Evan said far more gently, go on back to your homes or back to your world. Your families are waiting for you to say one last goodbye. Go now. Ava ran to a window and watched as the spirits outside began to move along, slowly making their way down the road or back the street where they came from. When they had all dissipated, only Jack stood alone. Go now, Jack, Thomas said boldly, before I smash that turnip and leave you in the dark. Jack gave Ava one last defiant look and then made his way down the road as well. When the family was assured that he was gone, they walked into the home where Ava was collapsed in Evan's arms. He wanted me to let him in, she cried. They all wanted to come inside, but I didn't open the door. Silly girl, Evan said, comforting her terrified friend. I told you to wear a costume. And Ava never forgot to wear one again. So how will you celebrate tonight? 
Will you go trick-or-treating? Will you leave special offerings to those lost souls that might be roaming the streets? Or will you stay home and guard yourself against those who would try to come in and pay an unwanted visit? Maybe do all three. After all, what's Halloween without a few scares? While tomorrow we say goodbye to Halloween, I'm here to remind you that spooky season never has to come to an end. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast if you want to continue to hear more scary stories to chill your soul. Until next time, and happy Halloween!